0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is
1: why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit.
0: Because every movie makes us feel something.
1: Hello listeners and welcome to the Feelin' Film podcast. I'm one of your hosts Aaron and here with me is my co-host and best friend Patrick. Do you get me?
0: I'm doing my part.
1: Well, good, sir. Good. This week, we are talking Starship Troopers, the 1997 Paul Verhauven. Is it good enough? That works for me. Adaptation of the classic Robert Heinlein science fiction novel. This movie, shall we say, takes a few liberties with the source material, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But this is the third time that Starship Troopers was up for a donor pick episode, Patrick, and we are both very excited to actually get to discuss it, or at least... One of us is, uh, maybe I shouldn't speak for my co-host just yet. Guess we'll find out what he thinks here shortly. By the way, listeners, this is our first new donor pick format. Uh, previous to this, we would do a donor pick episode as a mini-sode, so they'd be just a little bit shorter. Basic, basically they were the same thing, minus the connecting point. And, uh, we've changed that up, so now our donor pick episodes are gonna run on our normal timeline of episode numbering, and they will be just like a, a regular weekly episode that you might hear. Patrick, a quick bit of news, and then let's get started. First, we want to welcome a new patron, Hayden. So thank you very much, Hayden, for your support. It means the world to us. Uh, it's because of you and all of our patrons that we even are able to do these listener chosen episodes, and they're a whole lot of fun for us because we don't get to pick, and sometimes we get a winner, and sometimes we don't. Speaking of, uh, February's vote is now live, and it will be live through February the 10th. We are honoring Black History Month this month with this selection of films. Selma, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Hidden Figures, 12 Years a Slave. All incredible picks. I'm very excited to be able to talk about one of those at the end of this next month. And you can vote by visiting patreon.com, Feel and Film, and pledging your support there. Oh, yeah. Actually, I guess there's one other way to become a patron right now, too. We recently had the great news of learning that we were press credentialed for the San Diego Comic-Con. And that is like a nerd mecca. It is a a life goal kind of achievement for us. That's pretty exciting. And we are currently raising funds to travel there uh, over the summer and actually send yours truly, Aaron, to the San Diego Comic-Con Patrick's not going to be able to make it out there. Um, We're hoping to bring on another local podcaster that has been on the show or a film critic, someone that we know, to uh, cover the con with me. But it is a big expense. If you've ever been to San Diego during Comic-Con, you know how much hotels cost. And um, we're trying to get a little bit of help with that. If you'd like to do that, we have some really cool rewards up for offer. They include drawings for T-shirts. They include discounts on a yearly subscription to patreon uh, where you'll be able to vote in these donor pick episodes they include being able to choose episodes for us to do our premium picks program and some other cool stuff you can find out more about what you can get on our gofundme page it's posted on our facebook our twitter and it is also linked in the show notes of this episode and we would love any support you can give if it's five dollars if it's ten dollars if it's a hundred that's great doesn't matter how much Anything helps us get there and realize this dream.
0: Fantastic. Okay, with that all out of the way, let's talk about bugs. Do you want to know more? Well, if you do, then go see Starship Troopers and then come back and join the conversation. This is kind of the way we tell you that this is going to be a spoiler-filled podcast, as it always is. It's what makes the conversation so much fun. So if you don't want to be spoiled, if you want to experience... This movie, like I did for the first time or second or third before listening to us talk about it, go watch it, come back, join the conversation. That being said, one more takeaways. I'll kick us off. And gotta tell ya, first time watch, I'm a big fan of Beerhoven, love Robocop. I dig his style. And going into a movie like this, I kind of knew what to expect, but coming out of it, there was only one word that really summed up my experience, and that was juvenile. Now, before we start getting booze and people stopping the podcast and throwing digital tomatoes. Boo, at
1: I'll do it for them. <laughs> okay.
0: I mean juvenile in the most positive way, because we are staying positive on the show. That's our mantra. And the fact is, the original source material was written as juvenile fiction, and the movie stays true to that tone. There's no doubt about that. The premise is pretty simple. The idea is pretty straightforward. And with this good hint of satire to bring out a really good discussion in a social studies classroom or wherever you might be. It's a good thing because following these three characters feels like a slight coming of age narrative. Um, coming out of high school and moving on to the next stage of their lives and asking the question of why they were doing what they were what they're doing and what motivates them. And so when I when I watched this. I had to kind of absorb that and kind of take that in stride, knowing that there is a point to the way in which this movie is filmed, the way in which the story is told. I actually have a copy of the book that was recommended to me by Philip Herb when I was talking a few months ago about leadership and kind of jumping into my new role at at my job. And he suggested this. So if anything comes from this conversation, it's going to be me Jumping in and reading the novel, which I've heard is, is really good. And most people who like or don't like the movie have said that same thing, that it's a really good book. So at the very least, I have that to look forward to and to, uh, chew on.
1: Well, I hope you don't chew on the book. Um, I know you do have a puppy and the puppy might like to chew on the book, but
0: you should. It's read- digital. It's digital, so you don't have to worry about that. That would be
1: even more weird if you were chewing on it then. I have read the book as well, and I will throw my support in that ring, Patrick. It is a phenomenal book, but my goodness, it is different. I can't wait for you to start it and to get Voxer messages from you as you start reading it, because you're going to read the first chapter, and you're going to be like, wait a second! Like, why is that character... Why did that happen And And you're going to freak out. So it's going to be fun. My one-word takeaway came to me really quickly, <laughs> and I decided to go with exaggerate. Everything is big in Starship Troopers, and I mean everything. The characters themselves, the drama, the performances of those characters and the drama, definitely the violence, um, the musical score feels big, even the badness, if that can be a word, of the CGI. When they go bad, they go big bad. The dialogue could also be considered exaggerated as well, but I actually think that it's pretty darn accurate in a lot of places, uh, especially when it comes to the military lingo. I really enjoy what they have to say in the film. It's really not a surprise at all to me, though, that many fans of this book hate the adaptation. The more serious sci-fi exploration of philosophical and political ideas that the book gets into is replaced with a satirical tone that, to be honest, borders on the fringe of straight-up parody at times. It's totally bombastic, and it is so very, very Verhoeven. But it's also still pretty darn smart, and it's kind of packaged as a piece of propaganda itself in a fun little way. For me, it's the kind of movie that you either love or probably never care to see again after the first time. I definitely fall in the love camp. Um, I was totally on board with rewatching it this time around. I embrace it for the campy adventure it is. And I fully understand that it being so exaggerated makes it something entirely different than its source material. And I'm okay with that because I have both. And it's like that classic meme on Facebook with the little girl. Why not both? I like that. I I like the different takes on the material here that we have. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of the exaggerated Starship Troopers.
0: Very cool, man. Yeah.
1: All right. So now that we've called it juvenile and exaggerated, but both in a positive way, I guess, let's (laughs) dive in a little bit more. So before we get to the meat of this movie, and there is some thematic meat to talk about, I want to start with style and kind of what we touched on in our One more Takeaways is the tone and the way that this movie is presented to us. Not what it has to say, but it's the way it's presented um, to us. Actually, I actually have a quote from Verhoeven that I wanted to read. Go for it. So in an interview early on after this film was uh, coming out, he said, We're taking the genre a step further in a certain direction, into realism, in fact. It's definitely sci-fi, but it's grounded in a very timely, realistic world. Although, it's also romantic and adventurous, and even funny and light sometimes. It's realistic, and it's a depiction of people dealing with fear. It's a war movie, like the ones that you saw in the 1940s. It's kind of gung-ho kids thinking they'll have fun, then learning that war is very violent and very ugly. Now, I agree with all that. It is all of those things. That can be a detractor for some folks, because it is all of those things. What was your experience like? when you started off watching this movie? That's what I want to know. As a first-time viewer, when we were in the classroom on Earth and you were getting introduced to these characters, before the action really kicks in,
0: how did you respond to that? Well, the action kicks in right before that. I mean, we get thrown back a year and a half. So we're we're thrown into it. And I think that I don't agree with most of that quote, honestly. I, I agree that it centers on the idea of kids thinking war is fun and then getting the realization that it's not but everything up to that point I I I, I disagree with because to me it felt like a 1940s comic it felt like a pulp comic book come to life and if that's what it was in its source material then I would say Verhoeven and company hit it on the nail hit the nail on the head they were spot on But to take it seriously, to call it a romance and a war film was really difficult for me to get behind. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that we are introduced early on to this alien race that I have trouble taking seriously. They're so big and so bombastic. They don't feel like a threat. They feel kind of like a distraction. And the way in which they're fought, there's not like a, I mean, they're an alien race, but they're an alien race that doesn't feel real if i could say it that way because you know alien races are meant to be fictional but they don't feel like they have any kind of purpose other than being the object of a thousand bullets and and lasers and things like that and so going from that to the classroom i was kind of excited about the classroom because you have this piece of war and then this here's what was happening a year before oh we're in a classroom This feels a little bit like a Star Trek episode. Okay, I might be able to get behind this. And honestly, Aaron, those were the parts that I enjoyed the most were the character development and understanding the relationships between these three or four individuals. So having that and then getting onto the battlefield, I kind of felt a little cheated. That's fair. I I can
1: totally understand what you're getting at with that because you're right. We get a lot of character development. We get to know the characters and then we split them up. And we get into war where they're all in these different, unique timelines. And we get a lot of Rico and Diz and we get a little bit of Carmen and none of Carl until the very end. He just disappears. He goes off to be Dookie Hauser military MD, apparently. But I, so I, I can I can understand that. I think what's, it is interesting to me, though, that you weren't a little turned off at all by the camp. Um, were you expecting that camp?
0: Yeah, I mean the truth is I wasn't living in a bubble when this thing came out. I've seen kind of pictures of I've seen it on TV and I've seen small tidbits of it. So I I could ca- and I think this is a credit to the to the creative team here that just by glancing at a few seconds on TBS, I could tell that it was a little over the top camp. And so I kind of expected that going in. So I wasn't surprised at that and it wasn't a disappointment to me. That's the thing is I feel like if you if you do camp Then go full on. And where I, where Starship Troopers lost me was that there were times when I wanted to be, it wanted to be taken seriously and then it dropped off and did something just crazy. And the, that is just too much of a drastic, like, turn for me. It, it reminded me a, a bit of my Thor Ragnarok reaction when we get such, like, Dark and desperation on Asgard, and then we flip over to the planet and guys are wrestling each other and making, you know, and cracking jokes. I get that they're two different places, but even in this, we have like a moment with like Carmen when she's, when she's, uh, deporting or de-docking or whatever it is. I love that sequence, but then it's followed up with some crazy kind of over the top battle sequence, or we move into the, the web, website interlude uh, here's the news report type thing. And it just felt real inconsistent to me. Like I didn't know, it didn't feel like it knew what it wanted to be at any given point. And by the end, by the last third of the movie, by the third act, I think it fully embraced all that camp. But I kept seeing moments where I wanted to feel for Rico, but in the environment that he was in and the tone of the movie, I was like, I don't know that I want to take you seriously. And so I can't feel like there are lost stakes when there's a fallen comrade or something like that so it 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 didn't get me as invested as I wanted it to and I think it was because of the camp hmm.
1: yeah that makes sense I think that's a typical reaction that people have uh you know whether kind of where I was saying either you're gonna like it or you're not um I, I don't feel that it's it, or it isn't like that for me definitely I I don't go into it with expectations of a lot of feels, though. And this is probably my, you know, my goodness. I really don't even know. It could be my 10th viewing at this point. I've seen it so many times. So I'm not expecting any sort of emotional resonance from it. Um I don't treat the characters that way. I know because I know their arcs going in, I think. So maybe the first time it might have hit me a little differently if I was watching it for the first time, you know.
0: Yeah, but look, if you if you take a movie like Clue, then early on we already know that this is going to be just parody and funny and and whimsical and then if you but even something like um Doctor Strange Love which i think handles parody and satire in probably the best way that i've seen in film knows how to get you to laugh in the midst of this crazy negative like backdrop of something that is very much real and i think starship troopers attempts to do that but it doesn't convince me i didn't laugh that's the thing is i didn't laugh enough and i didn't feel like enough of the parts were funny enough from a satirical or farcical standpoint to really feel like okay yeah i get this is camp i get this is this is parody it's not like batman 66 where early on like they're over the top like they're just overindulgement of these characters these guys actually felt like they were trying to be serious at least in my mind i wasn't trying to make them feel serious but they felt like they were and the music sort of supported that at times it just didn't it didn't feel completely one way or the other and it didn't feel balanced to me
1: interesting yeah i i can understand i guess i I just don't have that experience i mean i for me it's better than strange love quite a bit as far as my experience goes and my enjoyment of it. And I laugh all the time. I, I see the characters as and maybe this is my military background, too, that that plays into this because I see these as ciphers for people that I've known. And I've I've seen people go through many of the stages that these folks did. You know, I've been in boot camp with people who are like all three of these people who came against their parents wishes, people who Came because they wanted to just kill the enemy, you know, because it was fun. I've seen career sergeants like, uh, Zim. Is it Zim? I think yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. And, and I've seen, you know, people like Raznik and I've seen folks that, you know, have gone different paths. One friends who was an officer and one who was enlisted. So I've watched these relationships and while they're again, exaggerated for sure. I definitely could still relate to them because maybe I have that background.
0: So I think that we're getting into the idea of what the element of sarcasm is. Sarcasm is a joke with a hint of truth behind it. And I think your history and your knowledge of these types of people helps enhance your viewing. And I'm not saying that's a prerequisite for enjoying Starship Troopers. troopers. There are tons of people out here that love the movie and they're civilians or citizens. Civilians. (laughs) we're not to that bullet point yet right sorry sorry (laughs) don't mean to skip ahead but but i think there is something to be said about the fact that having a knowledge of a particular we'll call it a stereotype or occupation and seeing that parody seeing the the characteristics of that occupation or stereotype be taken to the extreme one way or the other really makes that visual sarcasm successful Uh, I recently watched some episodes of The IT Crowd, and those characters are characters that I'm familiar with. I work with folks that are in IT, and they exhibit those same kind of characteristic traits. I even said, oh, yeah, so-and-so could be this guy from The IT Crowd. He could totally be that guy. Why? Because he exhibits those kind of character traits, and it makes me laugh. And I think that that's the success of parody, is being able to sort of be visually and socially sarcastic about a character trait or a set of character traits that your audience is familiar with. And maybe that for me isn't is where my disconnect is. I think the other part of it is that there's a lot of maybe subtle slapstick comedy, like people getting blown up and stuff like that, that honestly just doesn't appeal to me. So I fully admit that, that that may be a detractor too, that this isn't my kind of comedy, you know, just like, Three Amigos is not your kind of comedy, and and that's okay to say that. So I fully admit that that can be a limitation for my enjoyment of it.
1: Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I think we can all have very different design. I think comedy is one of the most divisive genres for people's taste. You know, when it comes to what kind of comedy you like and, and whether something works for you or not, it just seems to be very, very divisive. It just breaks people apart as far as. I'm in this camp, not in that camp, no pun intended. Um But like that violence, I love the violence. And I feel like when those people are getting blown in half and such, like it is so over the top in that Verhoeven way that it's kind of considered absurd in that moment. And so you're right. You're getting this serious, so-called serious battle scene with the bugs. And then somebody gets blown in half and it takes you out of that seriousness. And right. For me... It's just an exploration of how violent it is in reality and kind of calling us out on the fact that we're enjoying watching it to an extent, part of yeah. the, the themes here. I did want to mention about the bugs, though, that I love the design and I love this alien race. It's one of my favorites. And I think that they're great because the design and especially the, the number of them really just shows how truly outmatched the humans are in this fight. I mean it takes endless bullet clips and entire squadrons to take down just a few of them at a time. And that they're you know, they're they're huge, they're ferocious, they have the that huge number advantage, and they totally remind me of Zergling. And I can't remember if this game came out before or after StarCraft, but there's this race in that game called the Zerglings. And it's basically you would do the Zerg Rush, where you would just make Dozens and dozens and dozens of these tiny little bug creatures and just overpower your opponent in sheer number. And that's what these guys remind me of. And I love the twist at the end when you realize these are intelligent. Like this is not a non-intelligent species. Like they have somebody who's controlling them and giving them orders. And they have tactics and strategy. And just because they look like something that we normally disregard and put our foot down on we need to be more careful about that because there's more than meets the eye. You know, that's one of the the themes going on here. And so I really like the design of them personally.
0: I like, I don't like the design of them, but I like the idea that you just articulated that they are more than what they appear to be. And I think using, a design like a bug helps reinforce that and it's consistent with the rest of the movie. What you'd said earlier about the over-the-top violence and all of these elements, you could have been talking about RoboCop, which is a movie that I absolutely adore and partly for those same reasons. I love the over-the-top nature and I think for me the appeal is not the grotesqueness and the just the brutality of it, although there's that one scene you know, where they're in the boardroom and that dude just gets blown away. And, you know, you could watch that on repeat and just laugh your head off. What's wrong with this? I don't know. But the fact is, I think it's the sci-fi element that appeals to me. And the other part of it, I think, is the fact that in the end, we have a sense of victory with RoboCop. Whereas Starship Troopers, we get that. But there's a quote that I read from an article that kind of sums up how I feel about My response to the movie, it says they fight, they lose, they win. But by the end of the film, the war is no closer a resolution than it was at the start. Yes, they've captured a brain bug, but the war is still on and the bugs are still out there. And so, yes, it sets up for a nice sequel. But by the end of it, I don't really want to see a sequel. I'm like, well, I'd rather you just have conquered the race and be done with it, because everything leading up to that was kind of like, okay, well, this is a nice setup for a sequel.
1: But I think that's the whole point. I mean, (laughs) that's part of the whole point is that you don't win. Like you think that you've done all of this work and you've gone out here and you've made, you know, these battles and you've so many lives have been lost and you're cheering and you're celebrating and you're realizing all of these, you know, new ranks that have gone up. It doesn't bring back the millions the bugs killed. You're very little closer to any sort of actual long-term victory. Yeah. And it just kind of highlights the. I don't know, the the inability of war, the endlessness of war, the inevitability in the cycle of it.
0: And I think that's the smart aspect of this movie. I think there are several of them. That's one of the big aspects of the movie that I think is genius and that it does point that out. And I think that's where my personal uh, response to it is, is really intriguing. I'm kind of doing some self eval as we're walking through this, that the reason w- one of the main reasons I think I didn't like it is because it doesn't resolve. It's a reality. It absolutely is. And the commentary that's being made about war and the futility of war is, is, is on display as clear as crystal. What I understand about myself from watching this is that I'm not just looking for movies to resolve and give us a happy ending. I'm looking to have the possibility of hope the possibility of a resolution and that's just my nature i think it stems from my faith i think it stems from who i am as a a person and it doesn't make the movie bad at all i think in some ways it's it just it reminds me that i'm not the audience that this movie was made for well
1: you know what else is violent in this movie patrick what's that (laughs) Football is violent. It's interesting. Football
0: is really. Violent. It's
1: interesting that in 1997, football got more violent in the future instead of less violent. <laughs> so like now, we're constantly trying to protect the quarterback. In this 1997, this futuristic world of Starship Troopers, it's there's like less padding. There's like a metal football. It's insane.
0: It reminded me of NFL Blitz. It really did. Ah, oh,
1: yes, it did remind me of NFL Blitz. You're right. Or like a mix of like arena football and yeah and football is so fast paced and short field. And it was just that it stuck out to me. I was like, my gosh, like, this is the opposite of what we're trying to do in the modern world. <laughs> um, So that was interesting. You know, real quick, before we jump in to that big themes, there was a a note that I made about leadership. And since that's a thing for you, um in thematically, it really felt to me like, this is a movie that shows you Leadership is born through experience. It doesn't come from testing. And it really highlights that through Rico's arc, um, and even Carmen's, who she is successful and, but it's, it's with practice and it's with actually doing tasks. Right. Whereas in the beginning of the film, I think it, it's fun because they show them at the school and they're all like, oh, you know, you got X percentage in this math or, or here and that, and that means you're going to be great at this. And Carl's testing his psychic abilities and trying to find out what he's going to be good at. And then, you know, Rico ends up on the, on the ground, trying to make a name for himself in the squad. But it's not until you go through the experience that then you become a leader. And then you are able to not only become a leader, but you're able to be like Zim in the end and be humble and give away the leadership when you need to, when you know, right. know someone else is better at it. So I thought you might pick up on that and enjoy I
0: it. Did, I did. It wasn't as as strong in my viewing of it. But again, I think if I were to rewatch this, I would want to look at that a little bit more intimately. Because I picked up a little bit on it, but I think the distraction of everything else was kind of diminishing it.
1: All right. Well, the first big theme we're going to go through here is citizen versus civilian. Uh, this is the main concept of this story that is being explored I think a couple big quotes that that talk about it you have service guarantees citizenship so that's what's going on here and we have a question for the class at the very beginning where teacher is asking what's the moral difference between a citizen and a civilian so Highland seems to be suggesting a system in which only citizens are allowed to vote and the easiest way to become a citizen is to serve in the government or military or some sort of public service. With the idea behind this, in my opinion, it's pretty solid. The responsibility and freedom kind of go hand in hand. Like you have to be responsible to earn your freedom. Um, and especially so when it comes to voting. So the freedom to vote was balanced against the responsibility the veterans had already demonstrated in being willing to serve and risk their lives to protect the very system that they're voting in. So my question for you is, what did you think about this? Because this is like the whole point of the way that this world is set up. And
0: would this work? Well, I absolutely love, love, love this concept. I think it's a cool futuristic. It feels fresh, this idea that you're earning the right to have the rights that you do by serving in some way, shape, or form, I also adamantly disagree with. It. And <laughs> and it, and I think it stems from the fact that I'm a that I'm a civilian. Like in real life, I'm I don't, I haven't served. Uh, this morning, I was I was getting my my obligatory unsweet tea with extra ice from the local gas station, and there was a guy that came in dressed in his uh, his BDUs, and I told him. I said, I said, thanks for your service. Um, as he, as he came through and he said, he said, thanks, you're welcome. And I started thinking about that. I started thinking about the fact that I'm incredibly grateful for those that choose to serve, whether they're local or national or international, because I know that's a choice. I know we're not living in the days of drafts, uh, and people aren't being forced to do this at the same time. The world should be big enough to accommodate those that choose not to serve in that way. Now, I could get behind the fact that serving in general, whether it's public service or in the government or doing something that betters the country or the world that you're living in. Absolutely. I mean, if you're just slacking, if you're just leeching off of the government and off of the world around you, absolutely not. There has to be some earning. But when it comes to specific military, and that's what I picked up on, maybe I didn't catch that it doesn't have to just be military, it can be something else if that was the only case i felt like you were then diminishing the value of those people that either didn't want to be military or that felt like their options were limited in terms of being human beings and being free because they chose not to put themselves in that kind of position so that may be a mis a misinterpretation on my part
1: no i think i think you're right and i and i totally Agree. I love how you started off with like, I like love this idea. And I would totally hate it. Um, and we're coming at this from very different angles. And that's fascinating, because obviously, I have served for a large portion of my career, um, spent it in the Navy. And so I'm a little bit inclined to lean towards the idea that yeah, everybody should have some sort of service as well. I like what you specified, though. Just like, I, I don't think it has to be military. Um, but I think in some form or fashion, everyone spending some time doing something for public service could be life changing for a country, could be, could be seriously altering a a country's direction. It could help us take care of the poor. It could help, help us, you know, deal with all kinds of issues in house in our nation, homelessness, things like that, that we can mobilize people to do. Um, and, and yes, people would have to make sacrifices and live with, you know, out their huge amount of means for a shorter period of time during this time of service. But that's the point. That's part of the point. And I think it would be interesting because it would balance out your freedom to vote and you would have to be willing to either fight and die to ensure that everyone gets the right or serve others in some way. So I see, I see some advantages here. One is these competency tests that they have, um, would it create a more informed class of voters? So when you think about it, um, I found this quote online that I really loved. It was that which is, that's, that which is free is valued little, but that which costs much is valued highly. We don't research our candidates very much. We look and we see, oh, he's red, blue, blue, check, blue, check, red, check. Like that's how we vote. That's how a vast majority of Americans vote. But. If you had to earn the right to vote, how much more informed would we be? How much more effort would we put into actually choosing candidates that we truly believe supported our values and our ideals? Another part would be that if you don't vote, you would still be a citizen. So you would still, I'm sorry, you'd still be a civilian. So it's not like you have to go away, right? You just don't get to be a part of choosing the direction of the country anymore. So it's not like you can't live in the nation. It's not like you can't participate in you know, the, the free ability of the world, but yet you lose the right to be a part of directing where it goes in the future and how it's governed. So I like that. I, I, I really do.
0: Well, I do too, And I think that the, the, the movie does emphasize this with the arc of, of Rico in that he joined not because he wanted to serve, but because he was following his girlfriend, he was following the love of his life. And as you mentioned before, that leadership that he earned was just that. It was earned. And over the course of his arc, we come to realize that he, you could say by the end of the movie, he was made for that position. But at the beginning, his grades didn't, def- didn't show that at all. His, uh, his evaluation was definitely not that. And so I think it takes putting yourself in a position, whatever the motive is, to be challenged in an area that serves other people that you may not be comfortable with. Now, I say that with the caveat that you, you need to enjoy it. You need to at least have fun and really be somewhat fulfilled from doing it. Like if I was told in order to give yourself, in order to have the right to vote, you need to be a garbage man for three years. Man, that would be difficult for me to do, but if the price of that was was great enough, if I knew that my vote was going to do something pretty significant, I would make that choice. And I may find out that that area of service, I could find some fulfillment in that, in being a garbage man. Because the fact is, there are people out there that pick up my trash every week, and they may like it, and they may not, but they still do it, and I'm grateful for them, because... If not, I would end up like my house would end up like the back of your apartment. I mean, let's just be real. And those types of things make me appreciate the fact that serving doesn't have to look monumentally amazing. It doesn't have to be something that gets you a gold star. It could be something as simple as picking up someone else's trash or serving for a nonprofit. I know we're thinking about you know our world here, but I think that idea can work if it were expanded, and it gave people the opportunity with their different assessments and different evaluations that they could be placed in stuff outside of a limited scope of occupations.
1: Yeah, I'm down for that. I mean, I'm going to rebut my own self here in a second. I want to clarify, listeners, when Patrick says trash like the back of your apartment, he is not talking about the inside of my apartment. He is talking about the dumpster area of my apartment complex, where the dumpster, the compactor has been broken on and off for several months, and there was literally a stack of trash bags that was higher than the compactor itself, and as wide or wider than the comp. It was disgusting. It was it was just absolutely gross. So that's what he's talking about. Not my actual house. I don't live in a trashy house, but. What you were saying, Patrick, you're absolutely right. So the first thing I was going over there was kind of my ideal thoughts, like, yes, this could work. Now, when you go a little bit deeper, is it, would it work? I mean, I like the idea of it for these reasons, but a class-based society is ultimately going to obviously always turn out unequal. And when we have inequality, it's going to lead to abuse of power. There's going to be corruption. Uh, there's going to be people who are upset with rights and privileges that have been taken away. And it's eventually going to end up probably something like Rome, where we end up with a dictatorship and emperors and a very, very upset civilian base. And they're going to revolt. And I, I don't think it would work. And obviously, I don't think it would work in modern day to like just suddenly make a shift to this. But it is fascinating to think about the what if we had been like this in the past and if America, like let's say what if America had been based on these founding values and it had started like this, what would it look like today? That is intriguing to me. And I think what we can take out of this is there is inherent value in service, whether it's forced or not, that I believe there should be some reward for that. There should, there, there should be a value placed on it that goes beyond just the personal value that you take when it comes to your country. I think there should be more. I agree on um, that. And, uh, and I like that this movie deals with that. So the film also is steeped in this militarism and, and fascist propaganda. You mentioned it already. The All Net slash, um, I forgot what they're called. The All Net. And FedNet FedNet. propaganda machine that would you like to know more? I absolutely love those sections of the film. I love the faux documentary style pieces of the film where there's, uh, you know, um, grunts that are just talking to the camera. One of my favorite moments is when the soldier is being interviewed and the bug comes up and grabs him. And we see the fake documentary camera of our screen moving around and zooming in on the cameraman that's in the movie, who is zooming in on the soldier who is being eaten. And I've always been just massively intrigued by people who can do that. Uh, it, It reminds me of the cell phone videos that pop up on the internet all the time where you see like a cell phone video of a group of people beating someone in a parking lot. And the first thought I always have is not, oh my gosh, why are they doing that? Or uh, my first thought is, why is someone standing there filming this instead of stopping the action? And that's what I thought of. And I think that it's intentional, right? That zooming in by both parties is very specific. Verhoeven's telling us, hey, look, this is our obsession with watching it. We don't really want to stop it. We we love the violence. We just want to, we want to see it and we want to see it closer. We don't want to actually make it not happen. So a lot of folks think that the film glorifies the military and the use of violence and force to fight any perceived threat. Um, what do you think about
0: this? I don't think the glorification is the word that I would use. I think it would be enhances an extreme vantage point of what the military is perceived as. And I think at the very least, a movie like this should prompt us, who aren't in the military, who don't understand that world, to raise questions and to have coffee conversations with those that are and say, what is it really like? What was it like in Iraq? What did What's true about these moments? Did Did people really scream right before they were going to go take down the enemy, uh, in a particular battle. And I think what, what we get here is an extreme way of commenting on the absurdity of what war can be, that it is something recreational, that it is something of a sport and that there's a hint of truth behind that, but it's not the whole truth. It is a partial truth because if we really understood the mind of someone serving that word serve, I think comes first and foremost. And that can get lost in a movie like this, even though it's preached a lot, I think because it sits next to this gratuitous violence in these battle sequences, because we perce- because I would perceive as an audience, Oh, that's over the top then I would perceive the dialogue proceeding it about what it means to serve and be a part of this as being absurd and over the top. So I wouldn't take it as seriously as uh, either. And so I think what, what Verhoeven's doing here is he's amplifying our stereotypes and perceptions to challenge us to say, wait a minute, is that really what it's like? Because to see people fighting bugs and throwing thousands and thousands of bullets at them, knowing that it's not going to help at all really raises the question. Is it worth it? And I think that's a bigger question that we ask as people. Is it worth going to battle and losing your life to fight an enemy that we don't know anything about? And, um, and I, and I think that's really what he's doing. I I don't see any glorification here at all, but again, I'm not military. And so I, I wonder from a military standpoint, what do you think?
1: Well, I definitely don't see a glorification of it either. I, I felt like it's incredibly, as I said before, accurate to the dialogue. It's accurate to the people that I know, um, the people that I have known. The arcs that the characters in the different areas of the military go on, the desires they have, the mistakes they make, the punishments that they take. These characters are very well drawn out. Honestly, uh, Zim is one of my kind of low key favorite guys because he, he gets a couple of quiet but impactful moments. There's this scene where Rico is being punished after an incredible tragic mistake, right? He learns the hard way because his squad member gets killed. He tells him it's okay. He takes off his helmet. He gets shot in a live fire accident and his head blows off and Rico has to to answer for that as the leader. And he's being about to be whipped and get this sort of corporal punishment for it. And Zim comes up to him as he's about to be publicly um, whipped and he gives him something to bite down on. He says, bite down on this son. It helps. I know. Again, a quiet example of what real military leadership ends up being like now, whether it's good or bad, I am using the words accurate here. I'm not saying I necessarily endorse this, but we do still live in a culture where it's tough for people in the military to want to show weakness, um, and that has kind of been a pervasive problem with toxic masculinity in, outside of the military, obviously. So – there's more of an understanding of it when it comes to military service because of the job that you're you're doing and mentally with place you have to get to. But I like this because he can't really say this out loud. He can't really show him um, any kind of preferential treatment. But he's saying, like, I've been there, gone through this, you can too. Zim later does this awesome thing where he gets in the military as an infantry member as a private so he can fight on the ground. I don't think that's him, I don't think that's a glorification of infantry. I think the infantry dies. A lot of them. A whole lot of them. So it's not glorifying that choice, but it's saying, you know, here's a guy who this is what he knows and this is what he's good at. Yeah, he's a career sergeant. For us, that's, you know, an enlisted person who can only get to a certain rank and they're perfectly okay with that. They don't want to be a leader. And that's what Zim does. He goes from a drill sergeant back to the front lines because that's what he loves. That's what he's good at, what he's he wants to do. And so I think it's just showing us an accurate picture of our military and letting us judge for ourselves what we think. Letting people like you go, okay, yeah, I don't I don't see glorification in that. Or people to say that they do. And I don't know that anybody's necessarily wrong, honestly, um, because I think it's more of like an observational style. That we're, we're getting to see here. There's good stuff too, though. I mean, there's a burial at sea, or I guess burial at space that I, I really enjoy. It's just a quick moment, but I used to perform these. And so I always love seeing a movie, especially one like this, that's been steeped in absurdity and kind of violence and just crazy camp kind of take a brief pause and treat that with some respect. Um, so we get to see what this world does and how the, how their military handles that. I don't know. I, I guess where the, the idea that this is a pro-military and fascist propaganda film comes in is really that all net and fed net. And it's hard to argue that because it's those propaganda advertisements are glorifying the military. They're not telling you what it's really going to be like. Right. They're, te- they're showing people that are slaughtering bugs, not people that are getting their heads ripped off. Exactly. And I do have a problem with that. I think that people should not be coerced or even if it was in this citizen civilian concept without knowing exactly what they're in for
0: but don't you think that that even the FedNet is a satirical way of exploiting recruitment and the idea of how things are done you know with with our kind of recruitment as as military i remember in high school it, it is seeing how Oh, look, you can get your college paid for and you get all this money and it's, you know, it's one weekend a month and two weeks a year and all this stuff. And, and that was appealing to me. And then I realized, oh, no, 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 that's not appealing to me. I I don't want that.
1: Yeah, there's a great moment where Rico is about to leave and he's getting his papers stamped by this guy at a desk and he has one arm and he says, infantry is great made me the man I am today. And then the camera pulls back and you see him spin around and he's got no legs. He's sitting on a stump of his body and he's got one arm. So he's missing three or four limbs, but he's proud of the quote unquote man he is made today. So I think it's an indict, it's equally an indictment of those systems. I don't think it's suggesting that we should embrace them. I think it's saying, Hey, take a look at this. And, and even if it's, I don't know that it's necessarily saying we don't need to have, recruiting done the way that it's done but be informed yeah you know yeah there's a uh, ask the questions for yourself there's a line in the movie that they say that they say in fact one of, one of uh i don't remember who says it but he says figuring things out for yourself is really the only freedom that anyone has and that stuck with me
0: that's a very true statement that's a very true statement there's a quote from the guardian that says the film may seem like a chest-thumping celebration of colonialism a big primary colored drum being banged in favor of war's eternal mastication. But actually, it uses the brash brash tactics of propaganda to show up the ridiculousness of these ideas, ideas that are worryingly appealing to a society driven by ever more fervent tribalism. And I think there's a lot of truth in, in that statement that it's we're laughing at the truth of what we're seeing on screen. Totally true. Totally. Absolutely. True. Um,
1: the one other kind of theme that I wanted to talk through a little bit was just, I don't know if it's a theme, but it's, it's, the movie is basically a coming of age story, primarily for Rico. That's who we follow the majority of it. Right. But also through, you know, his friends, we see these three main friends, they go their separate ways, but we see them grow up together and make this vow to always remain friends. And then we see the impact of this war through their various perspectives. So we get to deal with a little bit of romance in there and a little bit of unrequited love, maybe a little bit of fate. How did the coming of age story stuff work for you?
0: I liked it. And as I mentioned before, starting us off in the classroom, of course, after the big battle sequence that happened a year later, I liked latching on to these three to four individuals. I thought I was a little disappointed that we didn't get more of Doogie, Because I felt like he was equally a part of the of the group. In fact, I think the three of them, it, before they went off, they said, let's promise to stay friends. And um, again, it's wrapped up in the sandwich of campiness. And I was kind of figuring out, okay, are we going to take that seriously or not? But I latched on to those relationships. And I thought, it's going to be fun to watch these guys go through the academy and go their separate ways. And so to see him show up later and to kind of see their, their friendship sort of come full circle, I thought was pretty fantastic. But I love the, I love the four. I loved having Dizzy a part of that. Even though she was not necessarily part of those three, seeing all four of them react to what the war is doing to them through their various occupations and through their personal lives, it, it's obviously a story that I like that kind of story anyway. I love the coming-of-age genre. And so even with the camp and even with some of the silliness that took place throughout the film, I think that was a strong element of it.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I, I mean, I like that... I love the... I guess I love, really, the school section of the film before they go off to war because we get to know so much about them. You know, we learn how Rico is really, truly probably cut out for the infantry. He's not... Got the best brain. He's an athletic guy. So he kind of relies on his good looks and his strength. He's driven by wanting the girl. And we learn that, you know, Disney, 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 Disney is in a position of leadership. Like she's the quarterback. She's always the one in charge. And she has a a strong quality of toughness about her. Harmon's the math whiz, you know, the one who is just kind of super smart and can do anything she wants and wants to be hotshot pilot. And then Carl's got this other psychic ability and, and he goes off to be military intelligence and so you can see how they're already their personalities and their strengths are informing the different parts of the military that they go off to be in and i really like that um, i like getting to see them interact in school yeah before they go off it, it makes it so much better um and then the reunion is nice too it felt very star wars to me there's there's several things in this movie that I think we're nods to Star Wars, whether intentionally or not. The first big one was Johnny in this chamber when he was getting fixed. He was in this water tank and there was like a laser fixing his injury, and it reminded me of Luke being in cryo, yeah getting his injury fixed mm-hmm. and then at the end in the reunion scene, that was like seriously like the end of New Hope to me. Absolutely. You had Johnny going off to fight like Luke. you had Carmen flying in alone to go off and do something like Han on a special mission and then you had Carl who was essentially like the general like Leia so some role reversal here but it felt very similar to going off to try and take down the death star
0: yeah I think that this, was completely intentional
1: yeah this like insurmountable force and and how are you gonna do it I really enjoyed you know getting to go through the coming of the age steps with Rico Mm -hmm. Uh, having him learn how to embrace Dizzy and understand what love is that's in front of you um I think it's Raznik, and uh, at least who says it at the end tells him you know listen you need to take advantage of of what you've got here you need to see what's in front of your face Mm -hmm. this woman loves you uh and it's it's really sweet you know, he goes through the whole military thing of getting broken up with in a letter that your whole unit gets to see and hear. It's terrifying. I mean, I've gone through that and it is, it is awful, man. It is just, it's such a, it's such a bad experience. And so we get to learn all of that through his eyes. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um I, I like seeing them get to come back together like Star Wars and kind of get to save the day, even if it's not, you know, forever.
0: Well, we always need an Empire Strikes Back, right? I mean,
1: so. Well, it's funny you mention that. There actually have been multiple very bad sequels of this film. Um, <laughs> but in 2017 is the most recent one, and it's an animated sequel. And it's called Starship Troopers Traitor of Mars, and it actually had Johnny Rico in it, also still voiced by Casper Van Dien. And he is with a bunch of new recruits on Mars fighting off a bug invasion there. And it's great. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I take that back. It's not great. The CGI was stunning. It's great in the way that the CGI in Starship Troopers is bad. It's the exact polar opposite. So that was nice. It really gives off like a photorealistic look for the surface of Mars and, and all the landscapes. It's seriously, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous animated film. And it's mostly just an action flick. It doesn't really have any sort of like deep thematic resonance like the main movie does, but it's really entertaining and it's kind of fun revisiting the universe. So if you do want more of these characters, check out Starship Troopers, Trader of Mars and avoid like Starship Troopers two and three, because those were not very good movies. <laughs> I, thanks, I,
0: thanks for the tip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They were bad. Yeah, man. So I, I, overall you, you enjoyed it enough, I guess.
0: Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it's not one that I... It's No one desire that, to
1: watch it again, right?
0: It It's one of those that I can watch with a group of people that really enjoy it. It's kind of like boxing or NASCAR. You know, it's something that I need to be around people who really enjoy it and who can I can appreciate it with. But I think that like most movies that don't make me mad from their bad production value or bad storytelling... This is one that just doesn't appeal to me because it's not my style. And I can appreciate everything about what it's trying to do. And I think it succeeds in what it tries to do on multiple levels. It just wasn't for me. Fair enough. I can accept that.
1: So I wanted to move into connecting points, if that's okay. Sure. But you told me offline a day ago or so that you might not have a connecting point. So. As we go into this section, I'm a little unsure of what to expect here. Did you ever come up with one, or did you just not connect
0: at all? No, no, no. So I will never come up with one. If if there's not a connecting point, I've, I've I think in the history of the show, I've never not had a connecting point. I try to make it a point to let that be a part of my viewing experience. But I know I never want to be as so insincere that I just try to make up one. For the sake of, well, we got to have one for the show. Because there have been, I think, two or three times when you haven't. And that's yeah. okay. I
1: I, rem- I I more meant come up with one in, in the phrasing of, did you happen to discover one? So I, I definitely I, did not mean, did you force yourself into one? I'm <laughs> glad.
0: <laughs> so to answer your question, yes, there was a moment for me that, that stood out. And this speaks to what I think one of the successes of the film did for me. And that's stay on point with its message because when you deal with a genre like this when you deal with camp and 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 parody you run the risk of just getting into being stupid and that's that's one of the risks with comedy bad comedy is comedy that's not consistent when you listen to a stand-up comedian when you listen to a Jim Gaffigan or a Brian Regan and you fall in love with their style you fall in love with their delivery if they change that, you've got to begin to trust them all over again. And I think when you deal with a certain type of comedy, you learn to trust the components of that style. And if it's not consistent throughout a movie, or throughout its narrative, it's not funny because you run the risk of going, what are you trying to be? And I know that at the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the movie, the beginning of our conversation, I mentioned that that's where I had trouble with, but it was at this moment that I think the film landed the plane, so to speak, in one of the big messages. And for me, it was Dizzy's funeral. So this is a moment that could easily be kind of chalked up as like, yeah, that's a connecting point because it was the serious moment. That's not why I connected with it. First of all, it's a beautiful scene. And in some ways it reminded me of Gladiator. Because at one moment, I think Johnny says, let's honor him or let's honor her. And I I kept thinking of that last moment in Gladiator where he where she says he was a citizen of Rome Honor, Let's honor him. And I felt that same kind of idealisticness in his voice. But I love the fact that we have this kind of triangle of motivations. We have Dizzy who she doesn't admit it. Maybe she didn't really want to do this, but I felt like she did where she joined and got connected to his company because of him, even though she denies it. But we know that she wanted to be close to Rico. In the same way that Rico wanted to stay connected with Carmen by joining the the infantry and being a part of this military world. When Dizzy dies and he's at her funeral, when he gets to speak, I really think like this is a moment where he realizes what being a citizen is about. I think he starts to understand the severity and the seriousness of what it means to commit to the life that you're choosing to, to live. And there's a piece of dialogue where he, where he says, Dizzy was my friend. She was a soldier, but more than that, she was a citizen of the Federation. And at a time when the character is meant to be feeling dis grief purely this 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 grief he articulates this unwavering commitment to the overarching state of the world that he's living in that hits home for him and i love that i love that this aha moment this is a coming of age moment for him where he's like you know what it's not just about the choices that we make it's about the bigger commitment that we are making to the world around us and i think that's One of the ideas that's consistent throughout, it's the importance of being a citizen and the importance of serving in some capacity in order to gain that citizenship. And I think her death and that moment at the funeral, he articulated his realization that she really was a soldier in as much as she was his friend. And that even if she did try to get uh, transferred to his company to be close to him, First and foremost, she was there for the cause. She was there to be a leader and she was there to serve. And her death, I think, meant a lot to him, not just because she was his friend, but also because she was a soldier and a citizen of the Federation.
1: Yeah, that's spot on, man. I would totally agree with that. And I'm glad that you had that moment. Um, I was sort of worried that you weren't going to have anything like that. So good job for Verhoven putting something in there. To give you a little bit of feels, I suppose. <laughs> um, one is better than none. True. Well, for me, it's a very personal uh, connecting point on this one. And not in an overly emotional way, in a, like I'm super sad or um, you know very upset, but just memories. It brought back memories. And that is the bug attack on Earth um, and the moment when Buenos Aires is destroyed. It happens with Rico talking to his parents, and along the plot, he has just quit after his punishment. He's given up, and he's discussing it with them. They're saying, come on home. Come back to us. He's ready to do that, and then they go. the, the connection goes blank, and he doesn't know why. He just thinks that the monitor went out. They lost the connection or whatever. He doesn't know at the time that they've just been completely obliterated, and they're dead, and there is no Buenos Aires. So that's a pretty staggering moment to watch when you know what is happening, because I knew what was, I knew that they were dead the moment that that happened, even though the character doesn't. And that leads to a quick moment where before we actually learn what has happened as an audience, Dizzy is talking to him about him wanting to quit. And she says, you take that walk down washout lane and you're proving that you don't have what it takes to be a citizen. And I love that. This this goes back to your point about who Dizzy was and what we've said already about her leadership. I mean, she is the strongest character in this film, okay? She she really is. Rico may be the POV, but Dizzy is the one that you want to be following. She's the leader and the one who just oozes natural strength and charisma and so when she challenges him i think it resonates with him it makes him think about it and i've i've been there you know and i've I've watched friends be there but especially in boot camp when you watch people struggling with the effort that they have to put in all of a sudden, they've, they've come out of their high school life, and here they are being forced to do a certain amount of physical activity every single day and, and to follow a drill instructor's orders. It's a change. And when you fail and you get punished, it makes you want to quit. It makes you want to not be part of that anymore. But Dizzy knows that Enrico's heart, he's strong too, and that he can overcome that. And that it's important because he is a valuable piece of their infantry. He's he's he has potential in him. So I don't think it's just about not wanting to lose him in that moment personally. I think she knows that he is where he needs to be. And so I like that. And this leads to us learning that the bug attack has wiped out multiple cities on Earth, Buenos Aires being one of them. And we see the cadets all scrambling around, watching the news, seeing it on the the monitors, and. Immediately wanting to go into payback mode, wanting to take the fight to the bugs. and wanted to kill them all. Patrick, this is exactly what it felt like to me when the towers fell. Mm. I was overseas. I was in the Middle East in Bahrain. I was a small boat gunner on a small boat unit that we would um, circle the port and protect the port ships that were docked at the pier. To make sure no uh, attacks came in in small boats, much like uh the USS Cole, what happened to them. So we were trying to prevent those kind of attacks. So I was a gunner and I had just come off of a shift where I was out on the water for four hours and people were like freaking out. And I walked into what was a portable essentially that we had set up where I would do some admin work and the TV was on and we walked in just in time to see people huddled around it. And I saw the second tower fall and there was a moment of shock, just like you see in this film. And then there was a scrambling of arming ourselves and desiring immediately and in any way to get revenge for that act. And that's what we see in the film. Um, Last year, there was a great a film actually called 12 Strong, kind of flew under the radar. I really enjoyed it, a, a war film starring Chris Hemsworth. And a similar thing happens. It starts off with the towers falling, and he has just turned in his retirement papers, and he comes into his unit, and there's this big moment where he's trying to get out of being retired. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going. I am going with my unit to Afghanistan right now. Put me in the fight. Put me in the fight like tear the retirement papers up. I, I need to go. And I see that mixture of chaos and acceptance of the loss on people's faces. But simultaneously, the military, this is what you do. You shift into, it's my time to go deal with the threat now and to fix it. What, and what our way is by getting revenge. So it really resonated with me. Um, on a personal level, it just made me kind of like flash back to all of these memories and go through this all over again. And I think it was portrayed really well and in a manner that I find very respectful to people like me who've gone through that experience.
0: And that's very consistent with how you responded to the rest of the movie and having that emotional connection to something you already experienced. So I think it definitely strengthens what the movie can do for you. Well, man, this has been good. I enjoyed this conversation. Um, we're taking Sunday off to enjoy the Super Bowl, but look for our next episode the Tuesday after as we will be celebrating one of the great American holidays covering Harold Ramus's Groundhog Day. We know of at least one person listening that's going to be really excited about that. <coughs> Jeremy, we're excited to talk about it, so be sure to tune in.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you.